I can never get enough of our theme jingle. I'm absolutely just amazed at the fact that we even have one. Just the, the fact that it's a, we have one associated with us, it's, I, it baffles me. I actually get up to it in the morning. <laughs> it gets me started. I have week bigs, um, and then I listen to the jingle. Yes, of course. It's your, it's your daily routine. My daily ritual. To be honest, it actually I listen to it sometimes to, to like kind of encourage me and, and give me some new thoughts and motivates me. It's actually such a catchy theme song. Roy, I can't help but notice, and I don't know if our friends who are listening will notice, but today is a Wednesday, which is one day earlier than we usually record. And I want to explain to our loyal listeners why that is. You said to me yesterday, Nate, we have to do this a day early. And I'm like, why? And you told me that you want to engage in the social paradigm of watching other humans <laughs> thrust each other on a large patch of grass for competitive entertainment. Absolutely. What the normal person would call rugby league, yes. Uh, yes. Would you like a, a deeper explanation of that? I think I did a good job. You did? <laughs> yeah, you of, did. Of either explaining it or denigrating the shit out of it. You did both very well. You anyway, explained I, it very well. I never understood the rugby league. All I know is that Billy Mason is a Bulldogs player. <laughs> Billy Mason. I think you combined about four players' names there, uh, which I always appreciate. Round one begins tomorrow of rugby league. Yeah, I mean, you might see it as... Grown men chasing around the ball. Um, Pig skin, if I may. <laughs> Actually, it's synthetic now because vegans like to play the rugby, it is, it rugby is, league with uh, Willie Mason. Something I, I, uh, I really, really enjoy and I'm looking forward to the opening season. I can appreciate that you, you're flexible enough to move this back a day. Well, I mean, I'm nothing if not flexible. Um, but <laughs> I, I live in the, in, in the Canterbury region. You do. Um, and the Canterbury Club, which is home of the Bulldogs, is that, did I say that one Absolutely right? Absolutely, perfectly. Yeah, so I'm a Bulldogs supporter by postcode um, loyalty. Yeah, yeah. How does that make you feel? Is that who you follow? It's not the team I follow, but I appreciate every team and the way they play the sport. You know, I think I moved from a phase of just enjoying the game now rather than... So you stand for nothing? Well, I used to stand for breaking my phone and crying at games and all that. And then oh. I realised that though it's a, it's a very good and wholesome game, it's probably not something worth being a diehard supporter of there's bigger causes I would say in the world like the earthquakes in Syria the earthquakes in Syria or Jesus for example Jesus (laughs) ah the Jesus your deity of choice (laughs) didn't we agree it's deity deity yeah I guess deity deity Uh, it works anyway enough from a topic I know absolutely nothing about (laughs) other than Billy Mason and uh, Hazem El Masri is a Bulldogs player is he still playing uh, not quite, no, no. Okay, well, I mean, let's leave it at that because... Well, not quite, I mean, at least 10 years. My, I actually have a friend, Andrew, and I told him, bro, if I ever meet a girl who is into the football, how can I pretend I'm interested so she can <laughs> like me? And he's like, bro, um, just say that the refs are ruining the game. <laughs> and I tried that once. Brilliant. With a girl I met. Yeah. And it turns out her dad was a ref. <laughs> so, screw you, Andrew. <laughs> Never taking your advice again. Oh, and now funny. whenever she brings it up I'm like yeah 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 the refs are ruining the game and then she's like no no we've discussed this my dad is a ref and the refs are great so I guess we've reached an impasse there but that is an absolute big impasse I'll have to go back to Andrew for some extra tutoring can you can you please walk into a pub and try that I, I reckon if you did that you'd get along with all the locals They'd and I'd be like, like held on their shoulders <laughs> like I'm the, the Mexican taco girl this guy's brilliant he's, uh, he's yeah. a footy guru <laughs> Billy Mason but the refs are ruining the game <laughs> uh, uh, how was your weekend? 
D-Roy, did you do anything? My weekend was good, bro. My weekend was good, yeah, bro. Uh, as you know, by virtue of being there, we were on uh, the the uh, a church retreat, which was Ooh, church quite quite enjoyable. I had a, a really good experience. Um, it was restful. I had a time to 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 pray and do all that kind of stuff that I like to do, and just mm. to have a laugh and enjoy people's company. Mm. Now you were obviously there. We had a good time. We bonded. But tell me your experience of it. Um, there was something that stood out to me and I had an encounter with a young man and that triggered a story in my mind. So I want to tell the story first. So during World War II, um, there was actually a sugar shortage in Europe, okay. um, which didn't go down well, well with the French people because you know that they love their sweets. Mm. And this man was once at a Parisian cafe. Parisian means pa- uh, Paris in Ian. Um, and he, uh, he asked the waitress, he's like, there's not enough sugar in my tea. And she was a bit kind of dumbfounded at how tone deaf he was, mm-hmm. given the, the, the situation at the time. And she's like, sir, she looked at him, she's like, sir, um, stir what you have. And that's the story that I remembered when I spoke to this young chap. So this young chap, let's call him David by virtue of anonymity. Um, Jacob, Jacob's a better name. <laughs> And he was telling me that he struggles figuring out his purpose in life because he doesn't have any obvious talents. Um, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. Wow. Um, it caught me off guard because he seemed like a confident, a funny, a witty kid who had a lot to offer. But he was drowning in everything that he thought he wasn't mm. rather than focusing on what he was. And that made me reflect. I thought to myself, people are interesting, Roy. Humans as a species are the only thing created that can be less than what God intended them to be. For, for instance, an ant can never forsake its antness and be less anti, mm. right? Mm. But a human can, you know, they can be a mere shadow of what they were designed to be. Mm. And they can ignore completely what was like inscribed on their hearts. Mm. So I guess the tragedy in life isn't that people aren't given capabilities and ta- talents. Mm. It's rather they're not stirring what they're given. Yeah, yeah. They're not acknowledging what they're given and using it. For example, I can't play the piano um, and I don't have a very good voice for singing, but I have a voice and I stir what I have and that allows me to do things like this with you. Mm-hmm. So Jacob, if you're listening, just a quick message. You know, if you're funny, stir your humor. Mm-hmm. If you're witty, stir your wit. If you're a financier, stir your numbers. If you're a poet, stir your words. If you're a lover, stir what's in your heart. Absolutely. And only that way, I think, can you set the word on fire. Stir what you have. Mm, like deep. that Parisian man. Very, very deep. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the obvious one, which is the, the whole parables of the, of the talents. But, I mean, take it in any kind of lens that you really want. If you, if, you, if you have certain qualities or gifts and you hide that from the world and you hide it from yourself, I think you always feel like you're unfulfilled. Mm. You're not stirring what you have. Mm. And you're doing an injustice to those around you. Because we mm. all have you know, amazing qualities and we have to share those and magnify them and um, really do with them what helps serve the people around us. Mm. And it's funny because me, me being a teacher and not always having been a teacher, uh, it made me think about there was a big part of my life where I did, I did not know what, what my talent was. Mm. But, but it was so obvious in front of me. I would always yeah. ignore it. I would always ignore, for example, the fact that I was going really well in religion at school, for example. And I thought, thought I'd be a surveyor because yeah. religion is fun. <laughs> Completely different. Didn't, so often, if, if it's a bit of my own experience, I would offer that advice that sometimes directly under your nose, it's just something that you might be missing, something that you might not think is of value to the world. But if it's of value to you and it's of value to God, I think be happy and go for it. Yeah, fair, fair. 
So what do you want to talk about in this new um, scheme we have going where we don't plan things? <laughs> well, uh, part of it is I'd like to just discuss a bit with you. Um, I know you're not fond of the, the whole spiritual questions, but no. I'm, just, I'm curious. Jesus. I'm curious to know about, especially your fasting and your diet regime over the last week, if you've come up with anything funny. Yeah, I mean, in Lent, I gave up. Uh, sorry, in the first week, I gave up all meat in this week of in Lent. And now I'm just fasting until 12 and no soft drinks. And on Fridays, I'll avoid meat. So that's my dietary um, regime. But uh, I guess it's been hard in the mornings to avoid the coffee. But yeah, you get used to it after a few days and makes you feel like you're succeeding. Yeah, okay. Very good. Um, yeah. How about you? Mine's been going well. Mine's been going good. It's been a challenge. But at the same time, I think uh, there's more, more challenges to come. So I haven't got any kind of ex- extravagant stories other than just a, I have to go out of my way to find food that's vegan. But... Oh, vegan. We all know how I feel about the vegans. Um, something I did want to ask you, but I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it'll catch you off guard. But I read in the media today that Andrew Tate is being released from prison in the next week or two. Wow. Okay. And have we ever talked about Andrew Tate? Not on podcast. In, per, in private conversation, yes. So how would you feel about sharing your thoughts about him? And then maybe I can share my analysis about Andrew yeah, Tate. Because, absolutely. you know, young men who I keep experiencing, like on the retreat this weekend, keep bringing him up. Yeah. And I feel we should, we should mention him. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, I've seen quite a, quite a few of his videos. Enough to know that uh, he's definitely someone who you can have mixed feelings about. Mm. I think there is some positive qualities and I think there are some negative qualities. The positive is that uh, he believes he's doing good for the world. He believes in uh, taking on his masculine responsibility, uh, being a carer, being a provider, doing the part that he believes is, is mm. almost a God, a, a God given commissioned, responsibility. Yeah, given responsibility. In that sense, and in the sense that I actually really respect his bravery and his courage, and yeah. for the most part, I feel like he's someone who doesn't really care what people think. So that's the positive I see. But the negative, obviously, which is no one will really argue with it, I don't think, is that at times he's misogynistic in that sense. Like he offers some, sometimes some radical kind of opinions. Do you, yeah. Apart from all that, though, um, and, and I have no clue, like in terms of whether he did or didn't do what he what he was arrested for. But look, honestly, he's captivating as well. Like he, yeah. when he speaks, it's very hard to not listen. But- I mean, we have to remember just because someone's captivating and entertaining, it doesn't mean that they're a good role model, right? Well, probably the devil was probably captivating. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, look what it's created in the world now. Everything's captivating. Yeah, I'm sure Hitler was captivating all, all sorts. Um, for, so my, I, I guess, analysis of Andrew Tate is I think his diagnosis on the crisis of masculinity is probably 75% right. Now, this is his diagnosis. Mm. However, what I do think is that his prescription is 0% right. Mm. So like, you know, when he says, this is the problem with masculinity and whatever, whatever, 75%, he pro- it's probably right. But the way he goes about it, um, it doesn't align with the problem. Like, and his behavior is probably 0% right. Because, you know, he has companies that, uh, you know, have naked cam girls online mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I think if someone were to look into Andrew Tate, they'd see the, that whilst his words sometimes highlight the issue and highlight it, you know, with 75%, um, I guess, correctness or accuracy, uh, the prescription, I would say his prescription is zero because he says things like, you know, a man is someone with a big house and a fast car and yeah. lots of money. That, that's not manhood, is it? Yeah, no, no. I think the reason, like, I watched a lot of his videos, the reason at some point I recognized that him and I and probably 
the Christian world are, are wildly different and like radically different is that at the very end of his pursuit, he sees power and dominance and social status to be something that's praiseworthy. Yeah. Whereas our, our, like our Jesus, our God, the person we believe, he's radically opposed to that. He's, he's called, he's humbled the, uh, the, the low, he's lifted the low. Um, sorry, he's humbled the, the, those who are high, he's lifted up the low, he blesses the meek, he blesses the peacemakers. So in a sense, we, we, we stop competing. As Christians, it's, we find joy in being the person who washes someone's feet, not the yeah. other way around. So I think in that, we're diametrically opposed Christians to that kind of power, yeah. business-oriented mind. And as a prescription, this tracing, uh, sorry, chasing power and status, as a prescription to any problem, it's going to destroy you. Because as we've destroyed, as we've discussed in the past, Roy, um, comparison is the thief of joy. If you're comparing yourself to others to try and get a lot ahead of them, you're never going to be happy. Because mm. there's always in this world someone who's going to be better than you. Yeah. No one can say I'm the best at something, because you know there's if not today, tomorrow someone will be better than you. Yeah, yeah. And someone will always be richer and more handsome. And you know, more successful, more intelligent, more intelligent. I mean, not more intelligent than I, but yeah, as a general rule, <laughs> as a general rule. Well, that's in that, in that, in other words, then I guess we're trying to say, if we think about it, that security is to find to be secure in yourself, it moves beyond your achievements. Yeah, it's so there's something deeper. So, what do you base your self worth on then? Well, as, as Christians, we, I'm going to challenge you not to give me the answer of God. Let's yeah. let Jordan Peterson well, this. Let me, yeah, great idea. Let me just quickly throw in what the Christians believe, but then move back to so, like, you, from a typical Christian, you would hear things like we find our identity in being children of God, mm. and that means a lot. But also, sometimes in the real world, it's very hard to to remember um, and to to materialize it in our yeah, minds because yeah. what does it mean to be a children of God? Yeah, it's, it's easy to read it on a paper, but yeah. even loving God is difficult mm. in the real world. Yeah. So well, it's a, it's, a, it's a belief. Let's say if we're gonna make it material, it's called cognitive belief that would take a lot of time to break other habits and our old beliefs. But anyway, moving away from the Christian perspective, what does it mean to be, to, to have kind of in, inherent, well, what was it? To have inherent value, to have yeah. self-worth. I think, look, this is, that's a very hard question. I don't know completely. I, I think some of the answers would be something like recognizing that your, your identity is a combination of your strengths and weaknesses, that your identity is unique and that there's no other person who's exactly like you. Also, that you're a human person, which means you have dignity. I think these three fundamental qualities or characteristics, mm. if they kind of intertwine together, I think you you find okay, I'm someone with dignity. I'm someone who's unique, my own personality, my own characteristics. The trying to find the identity through achievements, it's it's actually it's not physically possible in a sense where you can't live on your own. You, you no one is completely independent. Yeah, Everyone no, is independent. No man is an island. No man is not. What if I were to suggest, Roy, that our self-worth or our self-image can be derived from our relationship with the world around us? You know? Like, you could say, look at this man. Let's call him uh, Jacob again because I enjoy picking on Jacob. <laughs> uh, Jacob, to me, seems like a man who serves those around him who... You know, may, he may help the poor. He may be there when his friends need him. He's always ready to assist. Um, J- Jacob is someone who loves. And I think that's something that you can ground your, your identity in, in, in love. Mm. And I, I think it's kind of always the answer to every big question. Yeah. I think it does play a role. Yeah, your relationships and they kind of mirror to you who you might be. Sometimes, though, 
sometimes you're not received well by your own by your own people. By your own people, yeah. Because yeah. I was actually thinking that before you mentioned it, because I I'm the type of person, and this may be imperfect, and I, I attest to that, but I ground who I am in the people around me. You know, mm-hmm. I am Nathan, and I have the three, you know, the six best friends that ever there was, and I have this great family and a great mother and a great grandmother. But I don't think that that's a healthy prescription for everybody because some people are rejected like you said by their own and if they're rejected by their own then they don't have others to kind of concrete who they are in so whilst it works for me because i'm very blessed i don't i don't think it would be a universal universal solution Mm, mm. yeah well you know what like i know we've spoken about being alone for a while but I guess if someone was to spend enough time alone, he'd probably dwell. If he, if he was out in the wilderness, out camping, whatever, by himself, he'll reflect on his own values and whether he believes he's meeting up to his own values. I think that also plays a part in self-esteem. So over the last 50, 60, 70 years, you hear psychologists and like you know uh, spiritual writers and all that kind of stuff. They kind of they they speak about um, now. This is outside of the Christian faith, mind you. They speak about self-esteem coming from. Uh, it's like unconditional that you should just always love yourself. And though I do agree with that, I do believe that like there are people walking around who they have values set in their head and they're not meeting them. So that as long as you don't do that, that's the that's the definition of shame. The yeah. definition of shame is where is this emotional state where you feel like you're not meeting up to your values. So in a sense, there interesting. I, I do believe that we do get it from the people around us, but there also is an element or a factor or a layer where if you move all the noise, all the people, and you're sitting alone, I think that you could still experience internal internal shame if you're... Not living up to your values. To your own values. That is a great definition. I'm going to take that on. Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah, I read it online, actually, maybe a few months ago. Yeah. Um, Speaking of shame... Speaking of shame, so as, as we've discussed, my deity of choice is the Jesus. <laughs> um, you might be thinking, guys, why does he call Jesus the Jesus? It's, it's a very Korean thing. And you might be thinking further, Nate, you're not Korean. Um, firstly, screw you. I can be whatever I <laughs> identify to be. And No, I, I, there's a show on Netflix called Kim's Convenience and they're Korean Christians. And they refer to him as the Jesus. And it's hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, my deity of choice is the Jesus. Roy, I was wondering if you heard about what happened yesterday on the project on Channel 10. No. To me, that suggests that you had a very busy day. Uh, yeah, but also I don't have any social media and I don't watch any TV. So well, that explains it. <laughs> um, so there was a comedian on there, uh, if you would call him that, very cheaply or loosely, who said some quite nasty words about Jesus to the likes of... Um, he was a gay comedian... Along the likes of, you know, if I was nailed for three days straight, um, I would, and I came, you know, it, it, I love Jesus because if, you know, he was nailed for three days straight and came back from or something vulgar along those lines. Absolutely. Now, there has been an absolute uproar in the Christian community on Facebook, the, the WhatsApp, uh, the Instagram, and in short, the Christians have been picking up their pitchforks and, you know, getting ready to burn people at the stake. So I bring this up with you, um, not to condemn these guys' actions. And by that, I mean, this, that's not the purpose of this conversation. We absolutely condemn his actions. What he said was evil, disrespectful, and vile. Um, it's disgusting. But my question today is less about him and more about the Christians that were affected by him. 
So as I said, they've been picking up their pitchforks and ready to protest, protest and light the studio on fire. So my question to you, Roy, is um, how are we as Christians called to respond to such a situation? Because I've been hearing, you know, multiple perspectives today. People are like, we should defend our Lord. We should fight, fight, fight what's happening. And then some are saying we should turn the other cheek. Mm. Well, what are your thoughts? What's the best way to deal with this? In your, I think in of your the, of, yeah, it's a good question. I think of the the gospels a lot. A lot of the story, like the recounts that happen in the gospels. What was most obvious to me was that Jesus made it very clear that I don't need you guys to defend me. So when Peter pulled out his sword to chop the Roman guard's ear off, he said, "I don't need you to, to defend me." But he does need something of us. He does need us to live faithful lives where we where we express our public worship. We express that we are Christians, absolutely, and that we would go as far as to die as martyrs for our religion. Wow. However, in saying that, it's very, very different from pulling out your sword and fighting. I think, as far as I understand, that Jesus is, is teaching us that uh, we, we glorify the kingdom by our worship, by our public expression, and we defend the kingdom by our, uh, our public worship, our witness, our faith, and our prayer. That is what makes us strong Christians, good people who don't respond in that manner. I don't think any form of violence, no, other than self-defense, really is is necessary. And we're, we're called to be more mature and more secure than that. I mean, Jesus himself, himself, who they took to the cross, did not respond in that manner. I don't yeah. think it's our, it's our part. And he, he even reminds us. He predicted that these things would happen. He said, "If they hated you, if mm. they hate you, remember that they hated me first. Mm. But you were right in saying that Jesus didn't behave in a violent. In a violent way, you know, the disciple that drew the sword was reprimanded, was it Peter? Mm. Um, and the disciple who told the Lord not to go, not to go to his own cross, was called Satan mm. by the Lord. Mm. So Jesus knew that he would be mocked. Um, so that's one side. But are we to say that we're to do nothing? No, not at all. There is there is action that we need to address it, but it's just through non-violence, through prayer, community. Yeah. Because so we shouldn't be pushovers. Well, yeah. I think that think? our protest must be peaceful and prayerful. And we can and should stand up for our faith, but never violently and never at the expense of another person's dignity or safety, even if it is the perpetrator himself. Mm. Because, you know, forgive us, our transg- forgive us as we forget, forgive the transgressions of others. Mm. I heard that in a prayer once. Mm. Mm. I think that our father. <laughs> but... How would you find? How would how, would you be comfortable with that wrap up? Um, basically, you know, we don't expect you to to lay down and just take it. You're allowed to respond and protest prayerfully and uh, peacefully, but also remember that Jesus told Peter, "Put down your sword." That's yeah, not the way we do it. I, I do like with all the times that Jesus responded through non-violence, but. The entire every scenario, and every, there was a conversation. He did argue with them. He did call them hypocrites. He did uh, stand up his ground. He did say, "Yes, I am this," or "No, I am not that." And so, so too did the yeah, apostles. So yeah. there is, there is. You wow. are standing up for the truth, and then it's like, okay, if they then turn around and mock you or belittle you, you don't respond through violence. But everything up until before that, absolutely, it was very, very clear that they spoke what they believed to be the truth. Yeah. Wow. And also. Something that's important to note is that this comedian, he would have wanted this. You know, there's a in the industry, there's a saying, any publicity is good publicity. Mm. Now, 
sure, Christians are not going to go pay to see his show. But because of this publicity and because of this outroar, we have a lot of enemies in the world. And all of those are now going to be motivated to pay money to go and see, see this show. So I think we're actually doing him a service by publicly raging. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should have been a bit quieter, but also um, protested in the form of letters and emails and calls. Yeah. And yeah. kind of like an uproar that doesn't give him publicity, which yeah. I know is hard to do, but that's just something for people to think about. Don't give in to what he wants. Yeah. Look, I know I know I pressed for time, but it's just something that I've been like thinking, dying to say. It's that, like, how is that a sign of any healthy community? In any healthy community, you have different religions, different people, different sects, different languages, but there's a, there's a respect and there's a line that people don't cross and they keep that respect. Exactly. Him being able to say stuff like that just shows that we actually have a very unhealthy community here. Yeah, and that society has denigrated. Yeah. And it's also, it's hypocritical because we can't come out and, for instance, and make jokes about the LGBT no, community, no. community or another form of minority, but... Um, because they know that we are the people um, you, you know before they called us Christians do you know what they used to call the Christians back in the early church before the word Christians was used well, like, people used to refer to them hey look the people are coming the ones that love each other mm. isn't that a crazy yeah. reputation to have yeah, absolutely. the ones that love each other are coming mm. what a blessing um, and it's kind of been stolen now mm. the ones that love each other the love is love mob mm. in the same way that the rainbow was stolen so I want to end with a message to all those who are angry and helpless about the Jesus insult, as I'm going to call it, or even something else that you're kind of struggling with. I want to end with a bit of a story. Um, maybe a decade ago, we used to have an Iraqi refugee who lived on our farm for a few months. Um, and he was uh, the farm hand. I, I grew up on a farm with greenhouses. And before we went on holidays once as a family for a weekend, um, we told him, are you okay to be alone? And he replied in Arabic, which isn't something I understood at the time. I'll, I'll sleep when the wind blows. This is what the Iraqi refugee said to me. And I had no idea what the crazy old man meant. But on the day of our return, there was a huge storm as we pulled into the farm in the evening. And we ran to check if the, the storm had teared the plastic off the greenhouses and destroyed the plants. And we found that actually the plastic was reinforced and the gates were latched and everything was kind of tied down. Mm. And I went looking for the man and we found him sleeping in his bed. And I understood that moment what he meant by I'll sleep when the wind blows. It's kind of, it was a message that, you know, you have to do your best and prepare for things and always be prepared and God will do the rest. Mm. So I guess my message to everyone tonight is um, before you sleep, get on your knees and say, God, I've done all I can today. You can take the night shift. Mm. Mm. So stir what you have and let God take the night shift. Mm. Absolutely. You got anything else, Roy? Uh, no, not so much. I mean, I, I did read once that there was a particular, and this is a final message about the whole non-violence thing. That was, the, I, I believe, I'm looking through the Gospels, I have to double check it, but I read somewhere once that they said, why did Jesus ask the apostles to be armed or to bring their weapons if at the very moment that they pulled it out, he disarmed them? Well, wow. And... Uh, the answer was, was very simple and it was that he, he did that so that he can then disarm them in front of everyone to show that this is well, not my way this is not how I go we're not saying you don't respond absolutely we should respond in a healthy in a Christian way which means non-spiteful peaceful and prayerful peaceful, prayerful non-violence doesn't just mean physical non-violence it comes even from our heart and from, from our mind that means non-hatred uh, being merciful of course 
and, and being just. That's, that's, and that's the lens that we come from, not yeah. from any form of hatred or any form of anger. This was our longest session yet. I think it was a really good conversation. I yeah. enjoyed some of you, a lot of your input. Well, I hope you more. enjoy your game of betrayal tomorrow. <laughs> AKA the rugby league. Thank you, I'm, I'm sure I will. God bless. Put down your pitchforks. <laughs>